0: Hi, everyone. You're listening to The Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and this is the show where I interview investors to find out how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to The Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and this is the show where I interview multifamily real estate investors and discuss how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Before we hop into today's show, I want to remind you of today's sponsor. This show is brought to you by PassiveInvesting.com. PassiveInvesting.com is a private equity real estate investment firm focused on institutional quality multifamily, self-storage, and express car wash assets in the hottest markets in the United States. PassiveInvesting.com partners with their investors to provide opportunities to build wealth together, by delivering consistent monthly cash flow, capital appreciation, and strong tax benefits. They currently have 1,800-plus passive investors with a 65% repeat investor rate. If you're interested in learning more, head over to PassiveInvesting.com or click the link in the show notes. You can get more information on investment opportunities, educational webinars, or insightful articles. Reach out and see how they can help you build wealth through real estate. Now for today's guest... He is the founder and managing partner of Novo Multifamily Group. He's a multifamily real estate entrepreneur with over seven years of experience in acquisition, underwriting, contract negotiation, due diligence, syndication, capital raising, construction, and asset management. He's currently invested in approximately 800 units. He's also a seasoned business management consultant utilizing 25 years of experience Experience advising clients on project portfolio investment management. He holds a higher edu- he holds higher education degrees in edg- engineering and construction management. He also, I believe, was the former president of Tau Beta Pi as well. Which I had one of my friends as the president of Tau Beta Pi. I wasn't president, but I always hold a I hold a higher standard to people who are in Tau Beta Pi. That's the honor society for engineering college, by the way. Please give a warm welcome to Tony Castanovo. Uh, thank you Taylor. Thank, wow, you did some
1: some sleuth work there. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't you weren't expecting the Tau Beta Pi intro, huh? <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. So I was actually Tau Beta Pi and Pi Epsilon Tau, which oh. was the Petroleum Engineering Specific Honor Society. So oh.
0: yeah. Pretty involved in both. Yeah. And so you, is that what you studied in college? Petroleum engineering? I did. I did. Yeah, got it. And wow, so I'm I'm really curious then how you made this whole transition from because I studied mechanical engineering and I haven't done anything with with my degree <laughs> at, at all since I've since I've joined PassiveInvesting.com and actually even even in the previous jobs when I got out of college. But I'm I'm curious as to how you got your start in multifamily and in real estate and what made you want to go from the transition from engineer to full time real estate.
1: Yeah, well, there's a, about a 25 year gap between engineering and full time real estate, <laughs> so I'll abbreviate it for you. But you know, to say whether you used your degree or not—I mean, we always use our degree, right? Somehow, some way, mm. we made some choices. We took a path. It's not always this very straight line path where you can see for miles and miles, right? Sometimes yeah. there's twists and turns along the way. Uh, but for me. I, I actually started uh, thinking I was going to go down the mechanical engineering path. In fact, I remember uh, getting a tour. I was, I was considering uh, Rochester Institute of Technology, RIT, and, and I was getting a tour of their facility, and they were talking to me about how I would have the opportunity to help design the next Ford Taurus which I don't even know if they make Ford Taurus anymore, but wow. <laughs> but it was it was a project that they had going on in a partnership with Ford, and I thought that was so cool. And, and as I started getting into engineering, I realized I wanted a couple of things. One is I wanted something novel, uh, something different, and not everybody was doing. And being a kid from upstate New York. There weren't a whole lot of oil derricks floating around and, you know, nobody talked about oil and gas. And and so I just always had this, uh, this vision of getting to Texas and that's where I am now. I've been in Houston, Texas for about uh, 26 years now. And I had never been to Texas when I made that choice. Uh, But um, when I did get a job offer out of school, well, uh, was 10 bucks a barrel when I graduated, which, you know, nowhere near that now, right? But, but that meant that there just weren't a whole lot of jobs strictly in, in petroleum engineering at the time. So I ended up taking a job with Accenture. And they were, I, I went to school at West Virginia University. They were interviewing out of Pittsburgh. And they, they suggested that I could come on board and help to build software for oil and gas companies. So I thought that's kind of cool. I love the idea of putting on a suit and tie, which I totally hate now. <laughs> but but I was like, man, I get to go to Texas. I get to build software. I get to put on a suit every day. You know, it just sounded really exciting. And so enter into a 25-year management consulting career, uh, different companies along the way, Ernst & Young and a few others. Uh, but what, what management consulting taught me was about relationships and and some about selling and just, uh, you know, project management and being organized and, and, and presenting and influencing and, and leading and all these core skills that you can only do so much in college. You have to get out in the field and practice these things and live these things. And so many are translatable to real estate. And so when I thought about getting into real estate, it was in 2014, and that was when we say real estate. The only thing that came to mind was you know the HGTV shows and, and you know getting that that house to flip and you know. But I knew that I wanted some passive income, so I, I started getting into buy and hold real estate, uh, and then in 2018 I made the pivot to multifamily. We can unpack that a little bit, and here I am—you know, eight years after making that decision to to do multifamily—and I, I left my job, my corporate job, in September of last year, and I now do this full time. Right?
0: That's wow! And so that's hey, let's let's unpack that transition from single family to to multifamily. Then, the, how many single family houses did you have before you transitioned over, or was it a quick transition?
1: Uh, I had eight houses Hmm. and, you know, and it's one of those kind of hockey stick sort of scenarios, right. Where the first one seemed like it took forever. I mean, no exaggeration. I, I looked at, I looked at easily 75 properties and put in over 20 offers before getting that first property. And I wasn't putting in low ball offers. It's just that what I learned was I was competing with every, every like, customer that wanted to, you know, reside in the property and I had to find a different way. And that's when I started learning about wholesaling and and finding and partnering with wholesalers that could help me because I didn't want to want to do the, you know, dialing for dollars and start doing my own direct to seller. That was intimidating to me how much time I had to pour into that. So I, I figured, let me find somebody who does that for a living, wholesaler. And then I'll obviously, you know, work with them to make money for them. And then as long as there's meat on the bone for me, it works out for everybody.
0: And so when, and so you scaled to to, to eight single family. How come you didn't go for that ninth then? And what was that? What was that motivation to
1: switch? So I was I was getting close to pulling the trigger on number nine. And I was already kind of looking at, all right, so nine leads to 10. Once we get to 10, we're going to start thinking about how do we hit the reset button on, on Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type loans. Uh, and, and you know, maybe you have to get into a portfolio loan and just the financing started to get more complicated at that point. And then the other thing I was looking at was just kind of looking at how I was building my cash flow, my equity over time. and. You know I was buying a property maybe every three or four months. And okay, so maybe I'm adding, say, once I start hitting my stride, about four properties a year. It just didn't look like I was really going to amount to a truly profitable business that I could scale at that point. Mm-hmm. I know some people do it and that's fantastic, but for me, just with the time that I had and, and the patience I had for where I wanted to be. I knew that I needed to make a pivot. And so that was that was to go into multifamily all in. And, and all in was because I didn't know how to buy a multifamily property without my own cash. And so how to get to cash? Cash in my single family homes. And that's where my 1031 came in.
0: Got it. And so my it actually it it's surprising me as well because we actually haven't talked about the 1031 exchange at all through through all of my guests that have been on to the show. So if we can dive into just some more of the basics of, of a 1031, what it is and how it works, and how you utilize that for your family property. Sure, uh, I'll tell you what I know,
1: and I'm not the expert in this, but mm-hmm. essentially a 1031 exchange is an opportunity to defer the, the capital gains taxes. So if you sell a property and you've held it for, I forget if it's one or two years, whether it's short-term, long-term, quick Google search and we'd know. But but basically, if you have long-term gains on a property, you're going to pay those capital gains taxes. If you do a 1031 exchange, then basically you, you take the proceeds, you roll them forward into the next investment property and there is no no gain in that case. And so it happens very similar to like when you have your primary residence and you move out of one house and move into another house. You're not paying capital gains taxes if you continue to buy a bigger house and, and it's more expensive and you just take what you gain and roll it into the next one. And there's some rules around it, like uh, you have to identify – three properties within 45 days of selling, whatever it is you're exiting. And then you have 180 days to close on one of them. And so the good and the bad is, okay, 45 days sounds like a lot of time to identify potentially three properties. Uh, 180 days is not usually the issue. Somebody can close on a property in six months. Um, But trying to identify something in 45 days that you need to pick one of them, you might buy a bad deal, right? Because you got a lot of pressure to find something and you might be more aggressive in your negotiations.
0: And, you know,
1: so not saying that that happens all the time, but it's just something to be aware of.
0: Got it. And so for this 1031 exchange, I believe you 1031 into a 20 unit, is that correct? That's right. Yeah, so so I basically, and, and the only way to do that was I had
1: to package my single family homes and sell it to one investor, one transaction, because the other strategy would have been try to get top dollar and sell every one of those homes retail to an owner occupant. And I would have made a little bit more, but then I would have only had one home that I could 1031 and I wanted all of them. Mm -hmm. So I, I basically put together an offering memorandum and, and, went off market myself, reached out to my network. I found several buyers and one that basically paid full price and boom.
0: Wow. And say, I would imagine, at least from, I would have thought that it would have been a little bit more difficult in selling a portfolio of eight, especially since there's eight different houses and eight, different roofs they a different due diligence but if you're selling it in a portfolio to an investor you how did you find this person in the first place just out of curiosity was it just someone from your own personal network or did you meet them at a meetup no yeah, it was it was kind
1: of friend of a friend so uh, i had somebody that i knew that was in a uh, uh, a mentoring group you know large investor mm. community and they had a lot of contacts, and so they basically took my OM and shared it out with their community. And within days, I, I had multiple offers on it. And ah, awesome, yeah. And the nice thing too was, I mean, these, these properties were all fairly close together. I mean, that that was my goal as I was building my portfolio. Is I wanted to try to have you know, somewhat of a couple of zip codes that I would chase after and get to know very well. And, you know, it was easy to buy that way. I'd get a call from, from a wholesaler and, hey, you know, it's on this street. And, you know, it's a three-bedroom, two-bath, and here's the price. And and I would quickly know whether it was something I wanted to jump on. I mean, I was buying properties, no exaggeration, in two hours. Whew. <laughs> so because I, I, knew, I knew exactly what I was buying, and it fit my mold. It was just in my box, and it was very quick to pull the trigger, yeah, and, and that worked. And so for, for a buyer, the plus side was these properties were all generating cash flow. They were all in great neighborhoods. They were all renovated. So it was very much a turnkey. It's not for every investor, you know. The investor wants to come in and take something that's dilapidated and add value through capital improvements. I already did that, but this was something that you know we we hand selected every tenant, and they were. Um, I never had a late payment out of any of my tenants. I mean, it was truly a, a good turnkey business. So,
0: you know, for somebody who's looking for no hassle, cash flow, instant equity, made sense got it now moving into the the 20 unit then how did you identify it and then realize that this was the one and was it in 2 hours compared to when yeah. you were <laughs> to when you were looking at single family
1: yeah it it actually was the backup property because oh. i was under contract on another property and it was a i want to say 16 unit uh and we we were under contract for what seemed like forever, and we just couldn't get it done with with the seller. Uh, it was so close, and you know he just got very unreasonable toward the end, and so we exited. And you know if you've ever exited a deal, it's like you know a death. I mean you're in mourning, right? And and so we we mourned for a day, and then immediately I I found this other deal, and so. You know, we were still in our 45-day window, and so we added that, that deal to the mix. We underwrote it very quickly, got out there, we toured it, and we had it under contract pretty darn quick. So, yeah.
0: You know. I'd love to dive into just this deal and unpackage some of the, what what were some of the metrics that you were looking at when you were underwriting the deal? Like, What made the deal uh, desirable for you that you'd wanted to, to take it on?
1: To be honest, back then, I didn't have a great underwriting model for multifamily. And I look at deals a lot differently now than I did back then. But back then, I kind of treated it like single family, where I was looking at, um, you know, what's, what's sort of the after repair value. I knew how much capital improvement dollars I had to put into it. And thinking about, you know, what properties we're trading for that, that were like mine, but, you know, renovated and in better shape. Uh, they were performing better. I knew that I wanted something where there was rent growth opportunity. So in this case, it was, it was just, I couldn't ask for a better ideal situation. Mom and pop operator, guy had owned it for 40 years. Uh, he was 82 years old. He, he never raised rents. The security deposits were literally $3. <laughs> $3. Okay. Everybody was on a month-to-month lease. Tenants were there for, I mean, some, many, for over a decade. Mm-hmm. Everybody was paying $500 in rent. And, and the target rents were $750. So we knew we had quite a bit that, that we could bump rents and if we did a good job renovating then
0: we we'd have a property that would quickly be performing got it and now i guess i'm i'm really curious as to what changed as you started to, to dive into the syndication space and going after larger units? And you mentioned that your underwriting and your assumptions, your criteria as adjusted. What were some of those things that adjusted to what you look at now and what you're targeting now? And what could what would you change back then? And, and what you would what would I guess what would you would do differently on that first deal?
1: Yeah, I mean, now I, I'd say. Two 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 ways to answer, you know, what's changed. Number one is that from the 20 to everything I've done since, that was what we call an IRO, independent real estate owned type property. I owned it hundred percent. So it's either going to make or break me, but I don't have to answer to anybody other than the bank. Right. But ever since then, I've been doing syndications and I have a lot of people to answer to when doing syndication. I'm having people that are trusting their money with me. And so I have to look at the returns that the property is generating and what that means from a cash flow perspective, as well as an overall equity multiple when we we exit the deal. And whether along the way, perhaps we can do some cash out refis and return capital back, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I have to look at that model as well. Uh, but you always have to balance investor returns with, the sponsorship returns. I could I could give it all away and make a deal look amazing for all of my limited partners, my passive investors, but then I don't make a dollar on it. Or I could make a whole bunch of money myself and I'm not giving anything to my investors. And how do you think, you know, how long will I be in business as a syndicator? So there's a lot of balancing right there. Uh, but also what I've learned over the years is distress tests. To, to, you know, you underwrite it with, say, a base case. You're looking at, you know, where are interest rates, what's your entry interest rate? Where do you think you might refinance and where do you think rates are going to be when you sell? Why do you care when you sell? Because somebody's got to buy that property for from you, right? So they're going to underwrite it in five years from now or seven years from now. And you should have a, a good indication of what the market looks like at that point in time. Cap rates, very similar type of of structure. When you exit and you're expecting to sell at a certain cap rate, what if it's higher, lower? I mean, you have to stress test it in different scenarios. Um, Your rent growth. Right now, everybody's looking at crazy double-digit rent growth, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How long is that going to last, right? So, I mean, you really just have to look at all the levers in a deal. And and look at best case, worst case, and you
0: know, somewhere in between is, is hopefully your base case. Was there any specific story or motivation that wanted you to go up into the syndication space from going to IRO and just doing it your own and not having too many people to deal with? Like what was the was the sort of the the, the motivation that made you want to go for, for these larger deals and deal with investor returns? Because if, if somebody was coming into it and they'd say, no, I don't want to deal with everybody else. I, I'd much rather do it on my own. In your case, you, you went a, a little bit of a different path. So yeah. What was that? What was that motivation? What was that story? I think once I started getting
1: comfortable with the idea of multifamily in my mm-hmm. 20 unit, it was about a year into that. And I started looking at, okay, well, what? let's say that I do a cash out refund, which I did in in the second year of the property. What would I do with that capital? You know, I started thinking about, you know, what would it take for, say, a down payment if I worked with, say, a community bank or credit union to go buy another property, another multifamily property, say, with 20% down or 25% down? you know how how much could i stretch how how long would it take me to start building critical mass of units and grow my business and it just seemed like the best i was going to be able to do was every maybe couple of years to buy something about the same size which is not bad hmm. but but that it just wasn't how i wanted to grow that just seemed like a really long hard way to do it so I started thinking, well, okay, uh, if I had that same capital and I put that in as sort of skin in the game if you will into a syndication model and I raised the rest of the equity needed for the down payment and and the capital improvements and, and that sort of thing, then all of a sudden I have a business and I'm the CEO of the business. And that just seemed a lot more attractive to me than kind of doing my own solo thing on on the property and doing everything myself, despite that I had property management, I still ran the whole property. And that that's kind of a, a kind of a slow, long, boring way of doing it.
0: Hmm. Got it. And, and so now with Nova Multifamily Group, what's what are y'all focused on? What are the markets that y'all are in? And what do you what do you look for in your deals? So we look for um, really anything
1: class Class C, B, or A. Uh, I have a couple Class A deals. I've got a couple Class C's. Um, I'd love to get something right down the fairway with a, a B class type property, but it just hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but really looking for something 120 to 160 units, we've done more. We've done less. That's sort of you know, down, down the middle. Uh, Houston, San Antonio, Oklahoma City. Um, we're looking at some other markets like Tulsa and um, Austin and, and some other areas. But uh, the, the three that I mentioned, Houston, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, those are really where I'm putting my attention right now.
0: And I'd love to know, especially for our audience and our listeners, why those markets? Why why Houston, why San Antonio, why Oklahoma City? So, Houston makes sense because
1: of my backyard, uh, not to mention it's the fourth largest city in the country. Um, it is, it is probably just about as competitive as DFW, but, you know, you've probably seen DFW all over the headlines, you know, like always in the top three and markets across the country. And, um, and, and so prices have just soared and it's super competitive. Uh, maybe someday, you know, we'll actually be open to to guys like me to, to buy something at a reasonable price. <laughs> but meanwhile, I'm going to chase some deals in the Houston area. And I, I know, I know a lot of the sub markets, you know, it's very easy for me to get a street to look at a map and go, Oh, yeah, you know, I know exactly where that is, and what that's like. And, and so having that local knowledge is, is key. And, um, so that one makes sense. San Antonio is a bit of a emerging market for me. It's only three hours away. Uh, my, my family, my wife and, and her dad, they're from San Antonio. So I've gotten to know the area enough to not, not as much as I know Houston, but I, I know enough about it. I've got some partners that are based there as well. Uh, and it is, I feel a market that's kind of low on the radar and, it's one of the largest cities in the country, and and has a lot of you know diversity in employment and employment, and a lot of employers are headquartered there. Uh, but you just don't hear about it like you do in some of the other big Texas markets. So I feel that that you know there's an opportunity to really come in there and and secure some properties without you know paying overpaying like we would in DFW or maybe even Houston. And Oklahoma City is. Uh, I'm not going to say a passion project kind of thing. <laughs> it, it started to be of interest to me because I have a, a son that goes to school in Norman at OU. nice, uh, And I, I spend a lot of time there and I get to know Oklahoma City. And, and, and I like that it's a landlord friendly state. Uh, I can drive there. It's a little bit of a hike, but, but I can
0: drive there. I, I do it often. And um, so it just seems to make sense for me. Is he going to be the future Tau Beta Pride president? Is he following in his father's footsteps and doing engineering <laughs> <No>. as well? <laughs> no, 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 no. He's more kind of in the health space. Got it. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to make a comment too, just like going back to the Texas markets, so the whole I-35 corridor, just from San Antonio to New Braunfels, all the way to Austin, just seems like it's on fire. It <laughs> is. It is. In fact,
1: uh, I don't look a lot in the secondary markets, but- Waco is along that I-35 corridor and that's where my other son goes to school. Hmm. So we have been looking in Waco as well, just because I get to put my eyes on properties there and and get to go there quite often. That's only a two and a half hour drive and Waco
0: is hot. Yeah, absolutely. And so what are some of the, I guess, uh, from, uh, uh, I guess, a, a general perspective on some of your value add plays for some of your properties. Like, what are what are some of the business plans that you that you go for? I, I can imagine with Class A, there's not really too much of a value add play because it's a newer development. But right on the fairway of of value add, how much renovations are you looking to do, and what do those renovations look like for these properties? So there, there always is something
1: even on a Class A, but but it's different, right? Class A. Sometimes it's more amenities, you know, things like technology packages or um, don't yeah. laugh cabanas around the pool, yeah, <laughs>
0: you yeah, know, cabana, but covered yeah.
1: parking and, right. and you know parking garages, dog like, parks,
0: pet yards. Yeah, well,
1: yeah. Usually they have dog parks, but yeah. but yeah, I mean, you're you're just looking for amenities and you're looking to add things to cater to a particular demographic. A lot of times, you know, more the the younger white-collar type professional is going to be living in our class A's. And so any like technology packages kind of fits that demographic. And whereas a technology package, let's say in a you know blue-collar working class, you know, maybe lower price point class C property, probably not the best use of our capital dollars. In that case, what we want is something that is, you know, current, updated, very functional. And, you know, a lot of times when we're buying these seventies and eighties product uh, it's just, you know, back uh, the kitchens, the bathrooms, they're they're back in the seventies and eighties, you know, they just haven't been updated. And so both functionally and aesthetically they need to be brought current, but you don't need to go crazy. Not over the top. A lot of times we're, resurfacing countertops rather than bringing in granite or, um, sometimes, you know, I've got a, a a great painter. He can refinish and he'll, he'll refinish tubs instead of
0: replacing them and things like that. Got it. And so now moving forward, then what's is, what's in, what's in store for the future of Novo multifamily. And then also, I guess in, in store in general for, for, for Tony, you know, with, Interest rates and inflation going up. Is there are you hedging against a lot of different risks that are going on in this economic environment? Has your strategy changed? Is assets you're trying. To, what what are some of your goals that you're looking for? So, um,
1: strategy hasn't really changed too much. It, mm. It's you know really more the way that we underwrite and some of the levers that we pull and you know that that's changing a little bit. It's evolving. But as far as our strategy. We're still in buy mode, so we want to continue to acquire assets. I partner with, with great operators. Uh, I'm part of a, an education community that focuses exclusively on multifamily. I've met so many great partners there. Uh, some partners I've done multiple deals with and continue to get to learn them personally, professionally. Uh, Some are are helping me get boots on the ground in some markets. Others, you know, are in the same market as me. And, you know, so it's just a, it's a way to grow faster. Mm -hmm. They say uh, proximity is power and aligning yourself with other people to kind of take this journey with you, I think is critical in growing a business. Uh, So I'm not looking to do it all myself. I'm definitely looking for partners, Yeah. And I'm
0: looking to do more with the current partners that I'm working with. Got it. love it. And if people want to get a hold of you and learn more about what you're doing, and even potentially partner with you, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, They can always email me, Tony, T-O-N-Y, at
1: NovoMultifamilyGroup.com, or then go to my website.
0: We've got a contact form there, which is NovoMultifamilyGroup.com. And those will all be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Tony, for hopping onto the show. It was great learning more about your background, how you get started, and to where you are now. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure to t- stay tuned for the for the Action Items episode that's going to be coming out on Friday. We're going to bring Tony back to enlighten to us with some knowledge. So thanks again, for everyone, everyone, for listening. Thanks again, Tony, and I'll see you next time. Thanks, Taylor. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you got any value out of the show, I'd greatly appreciate if you leave a rating and review on iTunes to help others receive that same value. If you're looking to learn more on how to passively invest in apartment buildings or self-storage assets, click on my link in the show notes to learn more. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.